Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, April 8th, 2023. It's been 3,328 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 409 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, there is a significant chance of a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 7th and April 14th due to current activity by the VKS and Black Sea Fleet and the upcoming religious holidays of Catholic Easter and Orthodox Easter. Second, we assess that Russian forces are engaged in shelling Russian-occupied Donetsk to boost support for the so-called special military operation in the occupied territories. Third, Russian white nationalism connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit are fueling religious and racial tension. Fourth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective, and the only meaningful combat potential is in the Bakhmut operational area. Fifth, the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase. Sixth, We maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Seventh, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs, which is being made worse by offensive operations in Bakhmut. Eighth, the risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid remains as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, targets Ukraine's power industry. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively interfering with the governments of Moldova and Georgia to derail the European Union membership accession process and destabilize their current governments. One year ago yesterday, on April 7, 2022, Ukrainian officials reported that in Yahidne, over 130 residents were forced into a school basement and held by Russian forces for up to four weeks during the occupation. It was so densely packed that people had to sleep standing up, and Russian troops would not allow the removal of dead bodies for days at a time. Russian forces northeast of Kharkiv continued shelling the city, In Izum, up to five Russian battalion tactical groups—oh, remember those?—were assembled for an anticipated attack in the Slovyansk direction. 
Russian state media continued a string of staggeringly bad operational security fails showing pontoon bridge operations near Izum. In Barvenkova, Russian artillery bombed the overpass to the train station, temporarily blocking the only rail line available for civilian evacuations. In the Donbass, heavy fighting continued in Mariupol, in the southwest part of the city. A Ukrainian BTR-4 infantry fighting vehicle engaged two Russian T-72 tanks and destroyed both. Intense fighting was reported around the main port, with the siege entering its 37th day. The Ukrainian general staff reported Solodka had been liberated, and heavy fighting continued in Kremina, Rubizhne, and Popazna. They also warned Russia that any aircraft attempting to fly Russian troops into or out of Transnistria would be shot down. Russian state media reported that the destruction of an ammunition depot on March 29th near Bilgorod was due to three Tochkuyu SRBMs fired from Ukraine. They admitted the facility was damaged and reported 10 people were wounded. The United Nations voted 93 to 24 to remove Russia from the Human Rights Council. Shortly after the measure passed, Russia resigned. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. The Dvorichna and Kupiansk operational areas were stable. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. We updated the war map based on new intelligence showing that Kolomichicha is under Russian control. We had coded this area as a gray zone, with the line of conflict through the center of the village, because we were unsure of the status after fighting in November 2022 and had no clarification from Russian or Ukrainian sources. Ukrainian forces shelled a Ural truck loaded with ammunition in the village center, and based on this information, we moved the line of conflict west towards Stelmachivka and Miazosharivka. This does not represent a change in territorial control. In the Kremina operational area, there were only artillery exchanges and touches between Makivka and Chervonopopivka by squad-sized reconnaissance units. There was positional fighting south of Kremina in the Serebriansky woods and the Seversky Donetsk floodplain west of Shiplivka, there was no change in the situation. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, fighting restarted in the fields and tree lines east of Verknokamyanskia and continued south of Spirne. In the Bakhmut operational area, mercenaries with PMC Wagner continued attacks on Ukrainian positions near Orikhova-Vasilivka without changing the situation. Russian-aligned forces continued attempts to advance on Bohdanivka from the north and were also unsuccessful. Near Chasivyar, a dirt road bypass that leads to the paved section of the Ukrainian T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a GLOC, that's a supply line, was hit by Russian artillery, destroying several military and civilian vehicles, including a main battle tank. Bezdorizhia has become a major problem with a Ukrainian video showing wheeled BMP infantry fighting vehicles stuck in axle-deep mud. In northern Bakhmut, fighting continued in the area of Rose Alley, with PMC Wagner making gains on Zelena Avenue. Patches of urban fighting extended south of Rose Alley. In the city center, there were reports that Ukrainian forces withdrew from the SK Metallurgical Stadium, 
and Hotel Bakhmut and Hotel Atlantic were under Russian control. Russian mercenary mill blogger Semyon Pegov of Wargonzo released a video showing him running from the known line of conflict on Kowalska Street, east 117 meters in the direction of Sadova Street, north of the Hotel Bakhmut. The video reinforces a report from Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar that Russian forces are entrenched on Kowalska Street. Pegov claimed the video proved that fighting for control of Railroad Station 1 was ongoing, but the video was more than 600 meters northeast of the train station, and they'd added fake combat noises. Based on the reports that Russian troops captured the Church of All Saints on April 6th, Pegov's proximity to the stadium, and significant Ukrainian and Russian chatter, we've coded the area as under Russian control and moved the line of conflict to Verkhny Park. Fighting continued in the area of the pre-trial detention center and the state police station on Privokzalna Street. In the southern part of the city, intense fighting continued south of the Avanhard Stadium and along Korsunskoho Street. Russian forces have pushed to Mariupolska Street south of the stadium. A Ukrainian report claimed Russian forces had captured the post office north of the former MiG-17 statue. Several other sources intensely denied the claim. We expanded the gray area to include the park where the MiG-17 statue once was and the post office. Some assessment here. The advance toward Rose Alley, which is a breach of the railroad track defensive line from the north, and the loss of the SK Metallurgical Stadium has complicated the ongoing Ukrainian defense. While it's debatable if Russian forces have reached the MiG-17, we have not seen any videos from the T-504 highway G-lock through Ivanivske and we believe it has been severed. As PMC Wagner advances from the east, they can bring parts of the T-506 highway and the supporting dirt road network under fire control. The deep mud makes using more agile wheeled light vehicles impractical, while tracked vehicles worsen road conditions. Anything that gets stuck becomes an easy target for Russian artillery. Mud doesn't care about combatants, and Ukraine's problems may be more visible. South of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner and Russian VDV forces continued attacks on Ivanivske, which remained unsuccessful. In the Kostyantonivka operational direction, a geolocated video showed a Russian 2C9 Nona self-propelled 120mm mortar in Klishivka destroyed by drone-directed artillery. Further south, Russian forces attempted to improve their positions west of the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal, with a failed advance on Bilohora. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, Ukrainian sources reported that Russian troops launched a significant offensive in the Krasnohorivka plateau area. Russian attempts to advance on Novokalinova failed. West of Krasnohorivka, the 1st Army Corps advanced 600 meters to a tree line they previously held at the end of March. Wargonzo reported that Russian forces attempted to attack Avdiivka from Vesele, Mineralne, and Kashtanova without success. South of Avdiivka, a Ukrainian source reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive near Opitne and Vodyana, with both attacks ending unsuccessfully. Attempts by Russian troops to advance in the direction of Sieverne continued to fail, and the Russian First Army Corps continued their attempts to advance deeper into Pervomaiske from Piski also without success. 
Russian soldier and mill blogger Andriy Morozov claimed that Ukraine was using drones for wide-scale suppress enemy air defense missions, exposing their locations and resulting in their destruction by counter-battery. Saying, quote, According to information from the field, now on the eve of the offensive, DIL is cutting out our air defense with high-precision weapons. The HIMARS are not spared. Their aircraft-type UAVs are often used as bait and provocation. They can afford it. In fact, this is a struggle for the sky, for intelligence, and for the efficiency of information for X hour. End quote. Quick sidebar. DIL is an ethnic slur used by Russians to refer to Ukrainians. In Russian-occupied Donetsk, the central market and covered market area were hit by grad rockets and artillery or mortar shells, killing one and wounding 16. American-born Russian propagandist Patrick Lancaster falsely claimed the strike was from rockets fired by HIMARS, with the damage, rocket booster debris, and craters inconsistent with strikes from M30 or M31 rockets. A video released by Russian state media showing local officials examining an impact crater on tram route number one showed significant evidence that Russian troops targeted the city as a false flag operation. Our analysts were able to geolocate the crater to the western tracks of Tram Route 1 near 161 Chelyuskintsev Street, north of the trolley stop. Local reports confirmed that the trolley line was disabled between Vatutina and Khorova Avenue after the strike. The road runs north-south, and the impact crater shows the shell was fired almost perfectly parallel to the street and was fired from a location north of Donetsk. The nearest viable firing location for a Ukrainian attack from that direction is 28 to 32 kilometers away. This is out of range for NATO-provided M777 mm artillery, Soviet and post-Soviet-era D-20 and D-30 artillery, and grad rockets. If we shifted the potential origination point by 20 degrees west or east and extended to the longest possible range, there still was no viable firing point. So, while a final determination would require an in-person examination that we will never have access to, the available evidence strongly suggests that Russian forces fired on the Russian-occupied city to bolster anti-Ukrainian sentiment. In the Marinka operational area, Rybar reported that Ukrainian forces have control of what was once Druzhby Avenue in the destroyed city. Based on that intelligence, we moved the line of conflict one block east. Heavy fighting in the city's center continued. A Russian Su-25 ground attack aircraft was shot down near Marinka, with video showing the plane crashing and the pilot successfully ejecting. After withdrawing from Pobida and, I guess, taking the day off, it appears a Russian commander sent them back to the front. Fighting restarted, with Russian attempts to retake the ground they willingly gave up 48 hours ago, failing. In Russian-occupied Stadi Krim, residents under occupation complained online and to local officials that the town's kindergarten had been turned into a barracks and civilian homes surround the area. Unmoved by the appeals, Russian military leaders did not offer relocation assistance. Oddly enough, Amnesty International was nowhere to be found. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. 
You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Russian officials are accused of kidnapping four Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP, employees. The four were forcibly removed from the plant, and all had signed contracts with the Rosatom shell company that claims to own the Ukrainian facility. Among those taken was the deputy chief of the Physical Protection Service, Mark Volkov. Anarchoatom employees consider him a Russian collaborator. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, had not commented on the situation at the time of recording. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Ukrainian Colonel Vladislav Nazarov of Operational Command South, or OKS, reported 10 Black Sea fleet vessels are on patrol, including a Kilo-class submarine capable of launching up to four caliber cruise missiles. So you would think that Russian combat engineers would understand that you're supposed to bury prefabricated concrete bunkers and that the sand line of a beach is meant to be a fire zone, not an area where you hold an active defense against an amphibious landing. But on the beaches of Russian-occupied Crimea, poorly made concrete bunkers continue to appear plopped on the surface like cabanas, with the material already crumbling. Quick sidebar. If you've never seen the Monty Python sketch mocking government training films, you should watch How Not to Be Seen. We do apologize in advance to those who have been in public or military service and have watched eerily similar training videos. We would recommend that Russian leaders watch it, but they don't seem interested in learning things. Anyway, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery and rocket fire across the Dnipro River. Russian forces executed 71 fire missions on free Ukraine using 397 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, indirect tank fire, drone-delivered IEDs, and Fab 500 SE GLONASS-guided glide bombs. There were 17 fire missions on the city of Kherson, wounding an unknown number of people. Two Fab 500 SE bombs struck the kindergarten building in Novobereslav on the west bank of the Dnipro, causing heavy damage. Russian forces heavily shelled Stanislav again, wounding a 30-year-old woman and her two children, ages 10 and 3, critically wounding her youngest child. Earlier in the day, a 36-year-old man was killed by an artillery shell. He was caught outside during the artillery attack. On the east bank of the river, Russian-occupied Novokokhovka was heavily shelled. On the Russian front, in Voronezh, an explosion rocked a factory that makes parts for Russian military aircraft, followed by a significant fire. There was no other information at the time of recording beyond local officials reporting a, quote, anomaly at the plant. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The Russian MOD continues to rotate the same accusations it's used in the past when things are going poorly on the battlefield. We're past threatening the world with nuclear weapons and back to claiming Ukraine is preparing to use chemical weapons in a false flag attack. The Russian MOD warned that Ukraine allegedly plans to deliver the bodies and remains of dead servicemen equipped with toxic substances to Sumy Oblast. 
Then, Ukraine will allegedly invite experts from Western countries and post intercepted phone calls with Russians about a chemical attack. The United States publication Forbes estimates that since February 24, 2022, Russian forces have launched approximately 4,750 precision munitions into Ukraine, including KH-31 and 32, KH-55SM, KH-555, KH-59, KH-101, KH-47, Iskander, Tachkuyu, and Caliber missiles, costing over 16 billion U.S. dollars. Analysts believe the supply of Caliber, KH-555, and KH-101 missiles has dwindled to the critical strategic reserve needed to fight on a second front or territorial defense. Ukrainian Minister of Energy Herman Khaloshenko has signed a decree reauthorizing the export of excess electricity, saying, quote, The Ukrainian energy system has been operating for almost two months without consumer restrictions and with a reserve of capacity. We achieved this result thanks to the titanic work of power engineers and our international partners who helped restore the system. The most difficult winter has passed, which will allow us to attract additional financial resources for the necessary reconstruction. End quote. Ukrainian Air Force Command spokesperson Colonel Yuri Ignat verified Belarusian reports that the Russian MiG-31K multi-role aircraft has returned to Russia. The airplanes are capable of launching KH-47 Kinzhal hypersonic missiles, so when the MiGs would take off, it created nationwide air raid alerts. Colonel Ignat did say that the absence could be temporary, and a new unit of MiG-31K aircraft could be restationed in Belarus. More 120mm mortar ammunition produced in Iran was shown being unboxed by Ukrainian troops. It remains unclear if the recently manufactured ammo was bought through third parties or confiscated for being illegally shipped and repurposed to Ukraine. A repair base for T-64 tanks has been established at the Polish arms plant Bumar Wabende as part of an agreement between Polska Grupa Zrojeniowa and Ukroborenprom. The technology center will repair and maintain T-64 tanks to keep them operational and restore battle-damaged units to working order. German officials are negotiating with Polska Grupa Zbrojeniowa to utilize the facility to repair and maintain Leopard 2 main battle tanks. The New York Times reported that photographs of printed versions of documents marked top secret that highlighted Ukrainian force readiness, training, and troop deployments started to circulate on social media on March 1st. The Pentagon said they were looking into the matter, with versions circulating that have been edited to reduce Russian losses and increase Ukrainian losses on multiple Russian channels. The report was a snapshot in time and did not outline where, when, or how the Ukrainian counteroffensive would be executed. It did indicate that 12 mechanized infantry brigades were being trained by NATO, with force readiness and equipment ready by April 30th. We have previously reported from publicly available information that up to 60,000 Ukrainian troops were in training by NATO partners, and the available equipment numbers align with public information. The release has created significant fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the Russian millblogger community. Some suggest the documents are fake and note that history is full of alleged top-secret documents leaked intentionally, 
Others expressed surprise at the potential size of the force and the amount of equipment. In our assessment, the Kharkiv and Kherson counteroffensives taught us that the Russian military intelligence service does not do a good job. Ukrainian internal security has only improved in the last 14 months, and a significant number of arrests and FSB agents have been uncovered operating in Ukraine. Much of the data is publicly available, as previously noted. The bigger problem is finding out who is compromised within the Pentagon and understanding their motivations. We have some breaking news for you. As we were recording this episode, another batch of documents has been released on Twitter, providing top-secret information not for foreign distribution on Ukraine, but on China, the Middle East, and ongoing anti-terror operations. The latest tranche is reportedly highly damaging to NATO and Western national defense issues. Some of the materials, while highly sensitive, were static snapshots in time, such as a detailed status report on the situation in Bakhmut on February 23rd. Other documents reportedly include force deployment, readiness, training levels, contingency plans, and other information that could devastate the United States' national defense. Also, while we were recording this, the Oryx database reported more than 10,000 pieces of Russian heavy equipment have been destroyed. Speaking of destroyed, let's talk about the Russian military, mobilization, and Mir. The Russian state Duma is considering a bill on mailing subpoenas by registered mail. If the law is passed, subpoenas will be considered delivered to the Mobik or conscript on the day the letter arrives, and the person will be required to appear at the commissariat within two weeks. Another change is that even if a person of mobilization or conscription age did not receive a summons, they are still required to appear to verify their contact information and receive an invitation for military service. This is in addition to the current conscription effort, which includes sending notices by text message and phone apps. In St. Petersburg, Lieutenant Colonel Ilya Afonasyev, detective of the Department for Combating Water and Air Transport Crimes for the Ministry of Internal Affairs of the Russian Federation Northwestern Federal District, was arrested for trying to secure a bribe of 20 million rubles. According to investigators, Afanasyev tried to get a 20 million ruble bribe from the former head of the Aktiverskaya Directorate for Heat and Water Supply of the Russian Railways Branch and the current leader. The lieutenant colonel knew that legal action would be taken against both men as part of an ongoing corruption investigation. He solicited the bribes to avoid having an inspection of their records and a criminal case opened. More than 50 countries, as well as the European Union, have issued a joint statement in response to a meeting of the United Nations Security Council organized by Russia, which, incredibly, is the Council's president for April. Russian so-called Children's Rights Commissioner Maria Lvova-Belova, whose arrest warrant has been issued by the International Criminal Court in The Hague, spoke via video because of travel bans and her open arrest warrant. She told the room, quote, the Russian Federation will strive to present its actions in Ukraine as consistent with international law, norms on the rights of children, and the action plan for children in armed conflict. End quote. Multiple delegates walked out, and the United Kingdom mission to the UN wrote on Twitter quote, If Maria Lavova Bialova wants to report on her actions, she can do so in The Hague. End quote. 
In Milmak Zaporizhia, Russian troops were caught on video fighting among themselves, and the shared video violated operational security, revealing where a troop concentration is located. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal Kremlin pariah and failed Mobik Igor Strelkov-Girkin, condemned the activity of the Alexander Nevsky Brigade, which he joined in September as the chief of staff and heavily promoted, fundraised, and recruited for through the remainder of 2022. He now accuses the leader of the unit of running a scam, saying, quote, I am forced to not only disavow my advertising, but also make an appeal not to believe military crooks, end quote. The all-volunteer brigade, or so they say, led by Alexei Verishchagin, changed the unit from battalion to brigade, despite only having three battalions with 1,186 troops total when they went for training. That's equivalent to a fully staffed battalion and 25% of a brigade, to make it appear larger than it was. Girkin claims that the brigade arrived in Avdiivka with a staff of about 800 and the combat readiness of a reinforced company, without the promised heavy weapons and military equipment and the command staff absent. Today, the Nevsky Brigade does not have a combat-ready company, let alone a battalion, because, according to Girkin, the unit was thrown into, quote, meat assaults. Girkin concluded, quote, I strongly and reasonably suspect that this unit was created mainly for making a profit at the expense of dead souls, end quote. Sounds like everything is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. In Bereslav, a Russian drone dropped an IED targeting a marked non-military ambulance responding to a woman injured during an ongoing artillery strike. The vehicle was hit by shrapnel, wounding both medics, and preventing them from responding to the emergency call for the injured woman. Ukraine offered to return all captured Russian POWs of the Muslim faith at the end of Ramadan to show good faith and to secure the release of additional Ukrainian POWs. Daria Zarivna, an advisor to the head of the president's office, said the Kremlin rejected the offer. In economic news... Bulgaria will suspend access to all its ports to ships certified by the Russian Shipping Register as of today. While barred under current sanctions, Bulgaria is closing a loophole that allows Russian-owned vessels that are flagged in other nations. While Russia may have flagged some vessels with foreign nations, it is a common practice in maritime law in order to skirt insurance requirements, safety rules, pay, and benefits. Russia was forced to sell more gold out of its national reserve to cover its budget deficit due to shrinking oil and gas revenues and the expanding cost of the war in Ukraine. Demand destruction for the ruble continues, with the Russian currency dropping to 83 for one U.S. dollar before recovering to 81. Low oil and natural gas prices, demand that has been halved coupled with sanctions, have dropped the ruble more than 19% since January 13th. Some analysts believe the ruble is headed for a 100 to 1 U.S. dollar exchange rate within six months. And that's what we know. 
Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.